Oklahoma is ranked number three in the preseason coaches poll. The Sooners slotted in behind number one Alabama and number two Clemson. Of course, the coaches poll means about as much as one of those old Tom Herman hydration charts. Just a piece of paper with the color orange near the bottom of the list. Texas comes in at number 19, by the way. The AP poll will be out later this month, usually a week before the first games, and I'd expect the media to rank Oklahoma second behind Alabama. It's just a hunch, but I think the AP voters will put a little bit more weight on all the returning players for the Sooners, most notably Spencer Rattler. While I suspect the coaches rank Clemson above the Sooners purely based on reputation and what-have-you-done-for-me-lately thoughts, which is completely fair. But while I think the media will probably give the Sooners the benefit of the doubt in the preseason this year, I still think overall people outside of Oklahoma are widely underestimating what the Sooners can do in the SEC once they make that jump, hopefully by next year. Now, I was listening to former Notre Dame and former NFL quarterback Brady Quinn on the radio the other day, and I think Brady Quinn is really good. He's on mornings on Fox Sports Radio right now, along with a guy named Jonas Knox. And the two of them have great rapport, they're funny, and they're really entertaining. It's a great sports radio talk show, which I think are harder and harder to find these days. But anyways, they were talking about Oklahoma and Texas moving on to the SEC. And Quinn said, quote, this is about money. That's why OU and Texas made the move, because I don't think it's going to benefit them outside of what they'll be able to get from the SEC. Brady Quinn continued, I don't think they're going to have any shot in 2024, 2025 at winning a national championship or a conference championship. If they have divisions at that point, they'll have a hard time winning their division. Brady Quinn continued, as good as OU may be, I think they'll struggle if they were to move into the SEC right now, even as good as they look for this upcoming season, end quote. So as Brady Quinn said all of that, I kind of rolled my eyes a little bit. Then I took a step back and I thought, you know what? It's fine. This is how Oklahoma is viewed nationally. And even a guy like Brady Quinn, who works for Fox and has done Oklahoma games from time to time, he still doesn't see the Sooners legitimately competing in the SEC once Oklahoma makes that move. It's his opinion, and honestly, he may be right. But we all think he's wrong. Grant made some excellent points recently about how the SEC gives Oklahoma the ability to maximize their football program. Now, Grant's thinking ahead. So am I. So are all of you who listen to this show. It sure seems like those in the national media are not thinking ahead. Now, I'm very much looking forward to finding out who's correct, and hopefully a result will be determined sooner rather than later. I'm Lee Benson, and this is West of Everest. All right, welcome into another edition of West of Everest. No intro today. This is, this is an episode that doesn't happen a whole lot where I feel like I just got, even though I didn't, I feel like I just got off the practice field and jumped onto the microphone. And even though the practice ended hours and hours and hours ago and it's the evening time, I've been running and listening to sound from the day and actually feeling like I've been soaking in a lot of Oklahoma football stuff prior to writing down notes, thoughts, 
and then just jumping onto the mic. And that's where we are today. And so that's probably why this intro seems a bit uh, disjointed and all over the place. And so because of that, I'm going to immediately bring in Grant for the first time today, Grant, uh, to shut me up so I can collect my thoughts and we can get on with this podcast. What's going on? Nothing much. Great intro this week, Lee. Proud of you. Did a really good job. Uh, you know, things are going well. I don't know about you. Did a really good job. <laughs> I don't know about you, but actually I do know about you because you were literally at practice today doing your job covering the football team. But I can't get enough of that stuff this year. And it feels, it's, it's, it's nice because I didn't feel like that last year. Last year, COVID sort of was the dark cloud over everything. And it was hard to sort of get excited looking at these practice pictures and the videos and stuff. Because at the the entire time I was thinking like, eh, they're not going to play anyway, so why get excited about this? Um, that's not that's not there this year, and uh, I it's really refreshing just to be excited about football, knowing that it is going to come, it's going to be there, nothing's going to stop it. Um, gosh, I mean, we're three weeks away, three and a half. We're getting there, and as we record this, it's Tuesday, August tenth. This was day four of fall camp. Started back on Friday, and yes, I was there first time we were able to get in and watch practice uh, this year, and you mentioned like, oh, I wasn't really that into it last season, seeing the pictures and the video. Well, also, we weren't allowed to go watch fall practice last season, so the media wasn't allowed in, and, and when they let us in, it's only for 15, 20 minutes. It's so, so quick. It goes by so fast, and I wish I could come on the mic and then just say all these awesome takeaways, like this guy, look at this play he made, and I can't believe the size of this dude. And I'll be honest with you, Grant, it, it felt like I was there, and I saw the guys that I wanted to see, and they all looked about the way I thought they'd look, and I left, and I was like, okay, I'll check that off my list. So no crazy takeaways, but I will say, thinking back to our last podcast, what was my big storyline or, or not not big storyline? That's a different topic. What was the one player that I wanted to look at first day of practice? And that was Austin Stogner. And of course, I get inside the practice and I'm looking around. I'm looking around. I see the receivers and the quarterbacks doing their passing drills, their receiving drills. I'm thinking Austin Stogner's got to be around here somewhere, right? Well, no, the, <laughs> believe it or not, he was with the tight end group. Uh, which I did not see because they were really far away on the other side of the field. And so I didn't see Austin Stogner, but I asked some other people in the media that were there and they confirmed that, yes, he was at practice. So the one guy that I said I want to see immediately when I walk onto the field, I did not see, which is just like insert the price is right, like sad trombone music. Other than that, though, I saw everybody else I wanted to see. Jaden Hazelwood, I saw him. He looked good. And at least we've seen lots of videos posted through social media the last few days. Stogner also looks very good, Grant. So I, um, you bring it up, you know, what, what are we supposed to do in 10 or 15 minutes? Like, that's not enough time to actually, you know, get there and actually watch people. Um, I would say, right, I mean, the value that you, that you get out of that is just looking at guys physically. What do they look like in person? Because uh, that's real, I mean, in 15 minutes, that's really all that you can do. Um, and I guess, yeah, on, on the Stogner bit, um, I, you know, I, I read some blurbs about him today from practice, uh, hat tip. I think it was Bob Prisbillo over at uh, sooner scoop. Uh, but he, he mentioned that he saw Stogner and Willis in the tight end group. And he said, both of them looked very impressive physically. They looked big is essentially what he was, he was saying. 
Um, so that's great. I, I knew Austin Sogner was big already, but it's, it's, you know, he did, I, he, he lost a ton of weight, I think last year though, at the end of the season when he was sick. So that's, I mean, it's not a slam dunk that people come back from that, you know, better than before. And it sounds like Stogner did do that, which is great. Does it seem to you, Lee, that this season, and maybe this is just because last year was so weird. It seems like there's more videos coming out from OU from practice this year than years past. And I have a weird theory about this, and it's 100% a fan, half-glass, extremely full theory. Are they putting videos out there oh. because practice is just really impressive and they're making a ton of great plays? <laughs> I, well, I haven't seen a video yet with any bad plays, so I, I think your theory is probably airtight. Uh, yeah. Oh, man, just uh, can you believe that video they, they did yesterday? All those guys, just all the picks that Rattler was throwing and, and all of the just the busted assignments. <laughs> That's crazy. They're, they're sparing no expense. They're showing everything, man. Yeah, we know Lincoln Riley loves to show Every single, every single part of practice, absolutely. That's that's his thing. Yeah, there's been a lot of social media stuff. I, it's it's a mixture of yeah, we know we're pretty good, or we think we're pretty good, and also how much of this is them trying to promote each guy a lot to show oh, hey, yeah, we're gonna have you over social media for nil. Uh, I heard a theory, and may not, this may not even be a theory, and I, I apologize to whoever just whoever I heard this from today. Uh, so we're doing the media can do head uh, the head coach Lincoln Riley Alex Grinch we talked to them last Friday uh, last Thursday and that was in person they let us talk to them in person press conference setting great today we talked to Calvin Thibodeau and Bill Biedenboe I'll tease ahead Bill Biedenboe if you have any sort of concerns at all about uh, a certain position on the offensive line well after hearing Bill Biedenboe today I would not be concerned anymore so that's a tease ahead to later in the show but the players are going to be all through Zoom still until further notice, so they're not going to let us be around the players. But what they're doing is Oklahoma's obviously in charge of that, and throughout the entire Zoom, they're throwing up the player's name the entire time with their Twitter handle, and I was told that maybe that's a way of getting the player's social media handle out there a lot more because if we have to show video of that anywhere, whether it be online, on TV, it's going to have the player's name up there. It's going to have their Twitter handle. People can watch it and think, oh, hey, let's go follow this guy on Twitter, and so that's so many things now is based around social media, as we all know. And uh, so maybe that's a big reason why they're putting out more videos on social media. And we're even seeing like Spencer Rattler is putting out his own clips from practice, I saw. And I think maybe Jaden Hazelwood put out that great catch he had at practice where he got a couple feet down or a toe, a toe tap and went up and high and caught it. So, uh, yeah, maybe it's because everything looks great at practice, but also it could be partly because they're really trying to, to show these guys that, hey, come here we're gonna really put your face and name out there a lot and help you with nil if, if you want to pursue that route yeah i guess yeah when you say that i i suppose i did uh, realize that a lot of those videos came directly from the players social media feeds so i think i think you're onto something there i think that's probably right while they're uh that's probably why there's more videos it probably has a lot to do with nil and them just trying to you know to get the exposure out there for guys um the video that that really caught my eye though lee uh, was the one to Mario Williams in the corner of the end zone uh, where he got two feet down. It was a great catch. It was awesome. Um, the story of that is the throw because you can see where Spencer Rattler was when he threw it, and he was out of the pocket, and he was clearly throwing off balance like while falling backwards. And I don't know how far away it was, but the throw that he made to Mario Williams is perfect, obviously. And you know, I, we all know that Spencer Rattler can make all the throws. He's great. 
but that was just if people kind of forgot what sort of talent that he brings to the table go back and watch that video because that's sort of the underrated part of it was that Spencer Rattler had to deliver that ball perfectly while he was throwing off balance out of the pocket yeah and that was one of the the things about 2020 that I was super excited for going into that season was after watching a season of Jalen Hurts sorry Jalen Hurts no offense man but you're not anywhere near as accurate with the football as Spencer Rattler or Kyler Murray or Baker Mayfield. And so I was excited to watch a guy that could drop the ball into a bucket like Spencer Rattler, like I knew he could. And, and he did that a lot in 2020, and we obviously expect him to continue that, and hopefully he took a jump between last season and this season. And I, I, I do want to mention, last episode we were pretty short. We mentioned that at the end of it, and we have multiple topics we didn't get to, like OU to the SEC. And I know that's kind of taken a bit of a, uh, a – a spot on the back burner recently now that fall camp is here but I talked about that a little bit in the opening take as you all heard and so we'll get to that topic later in the show as well as some listener questions and comments that we didn't get to last episode just wanted to make sure I said that here before I forgot as before we get into the meat of of this program so anything you want to add at all about anything you've seen video wise today from practice before we get into what I think is the big news of the day from offensive line slash assistant head coach slash assistant offensive coordinator whatever all the different titles that bill biedenboe has any other comments before we move into that part of the part of the podcast uh, only just that there it does appear to be there's some guys that have kind of taken the next step physically um i, I know a lot of people a lot of people talk about theo weiss today and how good he looked um i, I mean i thought he did i thought he looked noticeably bigger in, in the few videos and, and different pictures i've seen uh from him that's only good because I, Theo Weiss has, has the perfect body for a receiver. He's lengthy, he's tall, and if he can just put a little muscle on his, you know, on his body, that's, I mean, that's going to make him a force over the middle of the field, presumably or theoretically. Um, so that's great to see. I know Mike Woods looked really good physically. I sent you a picture of uh, Kevin Gilliam, the freshman defensive lineman, who literally looks like an NFL player right now. <laughs> um, so that's, that's really funny. Uh, uh, Kelvin Gilliam. And oh, thank you. I, uh, I went to the practice today with Steve McGee, who, who I work with at News 9, who is our Thunder reporter. But now, obviously, the Thunder is in the summer and he's back home. So anytime it's OU football and we can bring cameras out to practice, we try to get as many people as possible because they only give us 15, 20 minutes. So I was out there with Steve. And so we're driving. Uh, we're leaving after we're done. We're driving. We went to Denny's for breakfast because uh, I'm not normally up at that time. And we w- wanted to go get some breakfast for the first time in a long time, but that's not the point of this story. He said, yeah, so I was shooting. Uh, I just, I saw number 44 and I got a lot of him. And I said, I was thinking in my head, I was thinking 44, 44. I, I, I said, offense or defense? He said, ah, defense. I was like, 44, that, I don't think that's anybody, man. That's, that's, and I got the roster out and I was like, Kel, uh, oh, Kelvin Gilliam, true freshman. I was like, oh yeah, I, I do recall that guy's name. I think he's a kind of a, a, a somewhat prized recruit, four-star guy. And he's like, oh yeah, so, yeah, so I, I got a lot of shots of him, so in case we need shots of him, that's great. And so I get back, and then you text me that picture of him, and I thought, oh, well, this is great. We have plenty of video of this guy who is wearing number 44, and it looks like Oklahoma <laughs> had to make sure to put 44 on a body type completely opposite of the previous guy who wore number 44 on this roster, which, of course, was one Brendan Radley Hiles, so... Uh, I find that to be pretty entertaining. I did do a double take. I thought it was Buki at first. It's crazy. 
I was like, geez, Buki put in a lot of work. Hit the gym. Guy put in a lot of work. Even (laughs) even grew six inches. Man. (laughs) Yeah, not many people knew that Buki's shoe size was actually twenty one, and he finally grew into his feet. So it's crazy. I mean, that's that's why he struggled so much, right? He just he he was he was always just growing into that monster body. He was tripping over those clown shoes. Uh, Yeah, so. Uh, so that's the Kelvin Gilliam story that I found to be pretty interesting. Yes, he did look very good. I didn't see him out there in, in person, but I did see those pictures. And then I, I watched the video that Steve shot, and I thought, okay, yeah, that, that's a big-looking dude for a true freshman. I'm not saying, like, I, don't, I don't expect him to be awesome and like, play right away, but he, he looks really good, that's for sure. And, and I bring it up just because there's just not a lot of guys who look like that as a true freshman. It's, that's rare. That's pretty special. Indeed it is. Big news of the day, though, if you're listening to this immediately, this will come out. Uh, sometimes I get this podcast out Tuesday night, but it'll be Wednesday. It doesn't matter. Biggest news of the day, Bill Biedenboe is super happy with his offensive line, and specifically because, obviously, Creed Humphrey is gone, so question marks about who's going to play center. Specifically, Bill Biedenboe is super excited and super happy about Andrew Rame. Andrew Rame might be awesome, everybody, and I have some sound from Bill Biedenboe to play. And so let's start with Bill Biedenboe talking about Andrew Rame and what he's seen from Rame so far through four days of camp. Uh, everything. I mean, really, and I'll say that a lot and probably shouldn't say it. Don't print it, but um, I know you're, I'm just messing with you. But, I mean, really, every. I mean, he's got every tool. He's got every trait to be an elite center. I mean, he's got the size, the athleticism, the smarts. I mean, he's really, really working at it. Now, what's the mentality that you have every day? Are you complacent? Are you lazy? Are you content with being just good? Are you going to work to be elite, to be the best? And that's what he's done up to this point, and it's showing on the field. And, and I think, you know, uh, every guy in there has. I really do. And I got one more piece of audio to play before we comment on this because it's also about Andrew Rame. And later in the press conference, Bill Biedenboe, he compared Andrew Rame to Oklahoma's last center, Creed Humphrey, who, by the way, is now atop the Kansas City Chiefs unofficial depth chart going into his rookie season with Kansas City. So here's Bill Biedenboe on Andrew Rame and also Creed Humphrey. I think Rame has a lot of the same qualities that Creed had, you know, coming in. Probably not as strong as he was coming in, but he's a really smart kid. And that's the most important thing at that position is being smart. Obviously, you got to have the size and be a good player and all those things. But being smart enough to, you know, understand the offense, understand the blocking schemes, and get everybody going in the right direction. All right, so if anybody had any sort of concerns or worries about the center position, Grant, it it seems like it's good. And – they haven't named Andrew Rame the starter, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look into these comments. He, it's, if they had to make a depth chart today, he's obviously the number one center on the roster. And those comments from Bill Biedenboe today, I think me and the rest of the media in that room, we kind of were like, okay, wow, this, this guy must be pretty darn good. So what do you think about uh, – or whenever you heard Bill Biedenboe's comments, what did you think? I mean, I'm excited. Um, I told you – I, I can't remember when it was. It was, it was. it was a little bit ago that, for whatever reason, I'm not... I And maybe this is me just being foolish, that I'm not super concerned about the, them losing Creed Humphrey. Not because he wasn't a good player or anything like that, but just because I, I sort of, I'm comfortable with Andrew Rame there. Uh, for whatever reason, he gives me sort of... He gives me all the, you know, the warm and fuzzy feelings inside. Um, that, of course, is not... Like, that's not scientific at all. I'm not really... 
providing anything to back up how I feel, just how I feel. Um, I, I, I really think highly of him. I thought whenever he was in there in 2020, he looked like he belonged. He didn't look confused. Um, and also just, I brought this up to you again today, Bill Biedenboe, it kind of takes a lot for him to be positive in a press conference. Just go back to last season when he was very critical of the offensive line. Um, he, he definitely didn't sound like this at all. Um, I, I think that's significant. I think it takes quite a bit for, uh, for, for Biedenboe. Uh, he seems kind of giddy in, in, in his own little way about Andrew Rame. And if, he's, if he feels this great about Andrew Rame, it just it makes me think, I was like, okay, how good is Anton Harrison? We've heard Lincoln Riley mention him a lot, him being really gifted. How good is Wanye Morris? We don't know yet. I mean, but like, if all three of those guys are great, are really good, I mean, maybe that's the case. What else? You know, how else would? Why else would Bill Biedenboe just be really pumped like this and actually come out and actually be excited and talk like this? I just, this is this is not normal for him. So this could be uh, me just not being able to think back too far. I mean, last year we had no in-person interviews. It was all through Zoom. We didn't talk to Bill Biedenboe much at all. It's always usually you talk to them maybe one time in the preseason. That's kind of it. You get them in the spring maybe once or twice. I'm thinking back to the in-person stuff would have been 2019. He's always really entertaining, always great. But today, and you brought it up, today felt like the most he's ever been energetic and super positive and excited, at least outwardly, to the media that I recall since I've been covering this team since you know, 2017. And I, I don't have the audio of this because it's hard to pick up in the way that they – they shoot these press conferences now. But I asked, I asked Pete and Bo about that, and I, I started out by saying, you know, Coach, you're being really positive today about your offensive line. And earlier in the press conference, he mentioned that all of his guys can start. They have a chance to start. That, that's how good they are. And I said, you know, you, I know it's only four days into camp, but you mentioned that all your guys have a, are good enough to start. Uh, can you think back to any other years where you were this – you felt this way about your group only you know, four days into camp. And he said, wait, you, you don't think I'm a positive guy? <laughs> and I, I, uh, I didn't really know how to respond to that. So I said, I don't want to answer that question. Yeah. So I think I, went, I, I think he yeah. was almost certainly razzing you. But oh, maybe I, he no, wasn't. He was. Maybe he, he was. was just maybe he was just he just hates your guts now. <laughs> uh, fortunately, he did laugh. So I, I think he was ra- uh, razzing me. But then he went in to explain and, and answer my question, and I have the answer to it, and here it is. Pro, you know, that, that's hard to say. Probably in 2008, and again, look, I'm not saying it's going to be like that, okay? That, that's probably the last time that I felt like this, and again, it's four days in, okay? But, you know, it, 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 it is. I, you know, I don't have to – I don't – if you guys are at practice, I'm not yelling and doing all that a bunch, because they're doing what the hell they're supposed to do. You know what I mean? And, and they're, they're doing what we need them to do. So, yeah, do I feel good right now? Heck, yeah, I do. Now, can we come in here tomorrow and I'll be more negative? Maybe. You know what I'm saying? But right now, today, yeah. And so it, it's kind of hard to hear as I listen to that back. In the room, it was pretty clear, to, at least to me, that when he said uh, the year, he, was, he said 2018, 2018. And obviously, 2018 was the year where Oklahoma's offensive line won the Joe Moore Award as the best offensive line in college football. And that's why 
Coach Biedenboe stopped and said, hey, see, listen, it's day four. We're not, I'm not saying that's what's going to be. But I, Grant, like, he's saying all of the things to make people like us who do an Oklahoma football podcast and make all the people that listen to this podcast and everybody in Sooner Nation get really excited about this offensive line, more excited than I guess we've been since 2018. And I don't even recall the depth in 2018 this early being as good as it potentially could be here in 2021. What do you think about those comments? I mean, it's I, how can you not be excited, um, especially when he brings up 2018? Like I, Everyone on that offensive line got drafted, every single one of them. Um, that's, that's a big deal. And I think this season, there's been so many superlatives, like where people, like fans are saying, mostly talking about, you know, certain position groups. If, if, if this come rounds into form and they're really good, man, I don't know how anyone's going to stop us. Or man, if the secondary can just take a step and, and go from like pretty good to really good, like how much better can this team be? I, like the sky's the limit. Um, I think maybe that's that's most true for the offensive line. If the offensive line comes into this season and they're playing at a 2018 level, I can't. This team can win a national championship. I I, I think that's that's clear. Um, is it like? Am I saying that's likely? No, but they're gonna be give, they're gonna give themselves a way better chance if the if the offensive line is elite. And so yeah, I mean I'm super excited hearing that stuff, and I think it's. It's uh, it's similar to a lot of the things that we're that we're seeing out of the OU coaching staff and the program. Just the attitude you can tell there is a confidence about this team that they haven't had in the last handful of years. It's very apparent. Now we hope that there's a lot of substance to go with that. Um, there are countless examples of college football teams and programs circling a season and saying this is our year, and then they crash and burn. Now a lot of times. Those aren't programs like Oklahoma. Those are the Iowa States, Texases of the world, you know, schools like that. But it's different. It's a lot different. And Lee, I want to I want to bring it back. Um, this is something that's been in my head for a long time. I don't know if I've ever told you this. You were with me, so this is something that you you may remember. Um, my freshman year at OU, uh, we went to the same school together. It was both of our both both of us. It was our first year there. And one of the first things that we did, it wasn't one of the first things, but the, the weekend before the season started, um, we went to, you know, like the Big Red Rally, which I'm not even sure they do anymore. Uh, but I, I wanted to go to that because I had heard a lot of about, you know, a lot of it, living out of state and just wanted to go. But uh, Bob Stoops talked during that. And um, he mentioned something during that where he said, you know, I was talking to this person and this person. And, and I kind of just said that, you know, yeah, it's 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 kind of time for us to win another national title. And he's like, I, I and he's like, I think we got a pretty good chance this year with our guys. And I remember when he said that, I thought it was really weird. I was like, that doesn't sound like Bob Stoops at all talking like that. Um, and it turns out that he had he had very good reason to feel that way. That was the 2008 team, which I still think uh, is Bob was Bob Stoops's best team. So uh, you know. It re- kind of reminds me of that. The attitude and the swagger coming from the program right now reminds me of that little nugget in the speech that Bob Stoops made in the twenty in two thousand and eight Big Red Rally. And I only bring that up just because you don't see it that often from OU's coaching staff. They all they they talk a lot about the high standards and how the standards here are championships, but they generally don't talk about that stuff with the same confidence and swagger that they are this off season, and. I think that comes from a coaching staff that's been around. They know what it what what the height of the sport looks like. 
They lost, They got absolutely smoked by probably the best team in the history of the sport. They know the level they need to get to. It's pretty clear in those walls. They think they got a really good shot this year, um, and I hope. I hope it. I hope that's the case. Um, and and you also see it from the players. The players do seem to be overly focused. They've gone out of their way to say we don't care about the SEC thing right now. It's all about business. And of course, they're just saying the right things. Um, but that's still good to see. It's 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 good to see that there there's clearly a common goal that everybody has, and they're working towards it. And you know, a lot of luck goes into stuff like that, and we'll see if if that's how it plays out during the season. But I think they're they're pretty clearly giving themselves the best chance they've had since in a long time, in a really long time. Look at it this way: coming out of the Cotton Bowl win, we talked about it at the time in the post game press conference after Oklahoma drubbed Florida. The guys were very stoic. The guys that were coming back that that knew that they they knew that the next season was the year. And you could kind of, I mean, you could tell from that point that in their minds, in their heads, it was already, we're going for a national championship. And it was immediately after that game ended. And then when the spring practice came, we talked to the guys. I tried to, you know, I asked questions, trying to gauge their thoughts on these expectations. We kind of got that stuff out of the way and they all feel it and they all understood it. And and that was the standard. I mean, they, they know that this team legitimately has a shot to win a national championship and you get to media day you get to sec media days and <laughs> notice how and somebody that i talked to that's that's not as dialed in to ou football like they, they you know they follow it here and there but they're not as dialed in as, as obviously you and i and they they listen to a lot of media day and, and just because they were interested to, to listen to what some of the guys were saying what lincoln riley and grinch were saying and the guy commented he said you know what i i, I noticed that no media members ask anybody really about you know their expectations for this upcoming season and I said well hey like the reason for that is because it's understood like, everyone knows what their expectations are it's been established so asking about it at this point is is we know, we know the answer we're going to get it's yeah, it's like, yeah so yeah and he said oh, oh okay oh interesting yeah I, I guess that makes sense so that's where we are it's it's not oh can they maybe make the playoff it's can they win a national championship? And the last few days, I've kind of amended that as I've thought more about it. And maybe I've said this before on the podcast, but what the goal of this season really should be, in my opinion right now, is can Oklahoma win a playoff game? Go from there. Because a national championship requires them to win not one but two playoff games, and this program has yet to win a playoff game. And so I know it's a little bit of a nit- nitpicky kind of thing, and I'm not saying that's, that's not what they're thinking as well, but I, I'm kind of like amended my thoughts as, you know what, they need to win a playoff game. That's the goal, and then if they do that, then we'll, we'll go from there. <laughs> yeah, I kind of I like that you brought that up. Um, kind of going into a little, like, a little sports psychology here. Of course, I've questioned whether or not, and, and of course, like, I, I, I do. I, I, think, I think they're going to have a really good chance of winning a title this year relative to the other years. Um, but I do question whether or not it's effective to name it like that. Um, and like I said, that's, that's heavy sports psychology stuff. And I, I only bring that up because I think, you know, would it maybe be more effective if they changed their goal into being more like, you know, just being a better team, executing this better? Like this, because this is, this is what Alabama does. They don't really talk about national championships because they, it's, because of, of course that's the expectation. They're better than 
more talented than everyone they line up against. Nick Saban talks about it all the time. Their goals in game are to get better and to improve on the on, on the last game. They don't really care about results. The results come from them improving and 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 just being better football players. Would that maybe be more effective? I don't know. How does how does Clemson do it? Who knows? Maybe Clemson the entire time was just like, "Yeah, we're we're here to win a national championship." I don't know. Um but that's one of those things that we're not going to know the effectiveness of it until the end of the season. Um, and you go back. I, I think that's really interesting. You bring up the point about the you know the other media member who isn't as plugged in. It's funny you say that just because 2021, OU fans have been circling that literally since 2017. I mean, it hasn't been... This, has been, this, this season has been circled for a long time as, as, the, as the season that a lot of people are projecting... Hey, maybe they might have the defensive depth at that point in time. They may have the, and that, you know, that's come true. And also at that time, I think people were circling it because Rattler was already committed as well. Um, and they just, they, everyone just sort of knew that that was going to be a really good recruiting class. Um, I don't know. It's, it's all hands on deck that I bring this up because this season has been circled in a lot of OU fans minds. And of course, because we all have college football PTSD my, you know, my sirens instantly go off when we do that because I was like, ah, guys, we're really setting <laughs> ourselves up for disappointment. Um, and I've, I've, I've tried to, I've tried to look at this dispassionately. I really have. Um, this, this is the best chance they've had in a long time, guys. The, the, the stars are, are kind of aligning really well, and it's not just with the players that they have. It's Alabama and Clemson going through a quarterback transition. It's Ohio State going through the same. Um, it's just they're the people that they normally compete with in these national champion for these national championships are going through other growing pains and other things that they're going to have to work through that theoretically OU doesn't have to, and that's very significant. So, man, it's good. But you know what? I, I'm glad that you brought up. You know, maybe their goal should be just win a playoff game. Where I'm, I'm mostly thinking their first goal should be we need to go undefeated in the regular season. It's unacceptable for us to lose any of these games on the, on the schedule. I think that should be the first goal. Um, and there's a lot of, there are a lot of people who have watched a lot of college football throughout the years who would say that's not really that realistic of a, uh, realistic of a goal. And I think generally you're you're probably right. This season with this team against this schedule that needs to be the goal. It's it's not it really unless one of these teams comes out of nowhere to be a juggernaut that we're not anticipating and I'm I, I don't see that happening. It's really not acceptable for OU to lose any of the games on this schedule if they if they fancy themselves national title contenders, really serious ones. All right, good stuff. I did want to mention a couple other just kind of news and notes from the press conference. If you're curious about the offensive line outside of the center position. Bill Biedenboe mentioned who has been repping at left tackle and who has been repping at right tackle. And he said that at left, it's been Anton Harrison, Wanye Morris, and freshman Savion Bird. And on the right side, it's been Swenson, Eric Swenson, obviously. Uh, Tyrese Robinson's been there. And Aaron Parks, he said, has been playing right tackle. And he also mentioned that Tyrese Robinson has, has been playing some guard as well. Uh, maybe thinking, oh, what about Aaron Murray, a guy that a lot of people thought would be the starting Chris. center this year? And what did I say, Aaron Murray? Aaron, Aaron Murray is the old Georgia quarterback. <laughs> I've been really bad with names on this podcast recently. I was listening back when I, I messed up Eric Wren and Eric Swinson last week. That was bad. At least they have the same first name. 
But uh, yeah, good. Thank you for correcting me. Uh, so uh, Murray, Chris Murray has been playing guard and it just it sounds like again, it sounds like Rame is the main guy there. And then outside of that, you know, obviously you got Marquise Hayes, big guy. Hey, go ahead, he's going to go ahead and, and pencil him in. That's he's he's clearly the starter at left guard. Yeah, and and again, Bill Biedenboe said that all these all these players have a chance, could be starters, are are good enough to start. And we talked about it a little bit, I think, on the last episode about all these names, all these players. The amount of depth is just exciting, and it's not just on the offensive side of the ball, Grant. It's obviously on the defensive side of the ball. And actually, before we go to defense, because I I want to make this consistent, you mentioned Theo Weiss. Uh, probably about 20 minutes or so ago, he did mention today in his availability that this is the best he's felt ever coming into a fall camp. Lincoln Riley had mentioned a couple days ago that he is full go. So Theo Weiss, even though he didn't participate in the spring, or at least I don't know when he injured his leg in the spring. I don't know if he missed the whole spring or, or whatever it was, but I saw him on a little push cart wheelie thing at the spring game. Either way, sounds like he's good to go. Looks good out on the field. Saw him today. Theo Weiss is feeling great. Awesome. Jaden Hazelwood, Lincoln Riley said on last Thursday. So, uh, yeah, last Thursday he mentioned that Jaden Hazelwood is fully away from that knee injury. He's running without a brace. And Riley mentioned that the table is set for Jaden Hazelwood this year. I sure hope so. So, on the receiver that front, sounds like both a challenge. Of those five stars. They're cha- I think they're challenging Riley, Yeah. And we know, that, we know that Riley challenged the receivers back in the spring. He was very vocal about how he was disappointed in their, their play from 2020. And so those are the two five-star wide receivers. But the big one who I mentioned last week, I want to see how this guy looks. I want to see if he can move. Scary leg injury last year, big Austin Stogner. And, well, after listening to him talk last Thursday, I came away thinking that Austin Stogner is going to be just fine this year. And I am very much excited to watch him play, especially seeing some of the videos that have been put, put out on OU social media. He looks great. And so Austin Stogner said that, let me go through some of his questions. I want to make sure I get the, the money quotes. Um, it was a, a weird situation. He had a strep infection, a very rare thing. Staph infection? I, I don't know. Well, it, that might have been part of it. It, it. He had strep throat. When he got hurt and somehow the strep, I guess, went ended up getting down into his leg or something like that. And he was on a heavy dose of antibiotics at the hospital. I'm probably not explaining this very well. I'll, I'll do a better job. I'm, I'm actually working on a story about Austin Stogner and, and his return to football for later on this month. But he had some great quotes and and he basically he feels great. <laughs> he, he he feels like he's back to 100 uh, percent. And he looks at football a different way now because it was taken away from him briefly. And he's super excited. He's moving well. Spencer Rattler talked about Austin Sogner and said he, he looks better than he's ever looked before. And we know that Spencer Rattler and Austin Sogner, they kind of go back to high school. They had a little bit of a rapport, I think, on seven and seven camps. So they go back and Spencer Rattler talking about how Austin Sogner looks better than he's ever seen him before. That means something. And so my excitement level, level in Austin Stogner, I'll be honest, before media day, I was, I was pretty low because I heard about his leg. I read the story that Jason Kersey did in The Athletic. It didn't sound good. 
And now I guess he's he's leaned down, but he's he's quicker. He's cutting. He's full speed. And again, Spencer Rattler said he looks like he's looks better than he's ever looked. So I am I am excited about Austin Sogner. And if we can just get Braden Willis healthy as well for a full season, like we talked about a little bit last week, Grant, that is a heck of a one two punch at tight end. Yeah, like I mean, it's. I think we forget it just because Braden Willis has been so injured and just hasn't played a lot, but you're right. I mean, if those guys can put forth a completely healthy season, that's a monster tight end room. There's there's really not a lot of teams that have an answer for that type of size uh, that both of those guys can throw out there. Um, I kind of wanted to go back, Lee, just because, you know, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Stogner and everything, but um, it just jogged my memory because on media days last Friday... Um, Thursday. Was it Thursday? Yeah. Uh, Marvin Mims talked on on Zoom, and a uh, couple things there. One, Marvin Mims make me uh, makes me insecure uh, because he is clearly a more impressive human being than I am. Makes <laughs> you insecure. Um, and number two, there was something that he said there that really jumped out at me. He said, he said, "Hey, you know, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to do my best. And if the ball comes my way, great. And if not, that's fine too." And he's like, "It doesn't really matter. We are so loaded on offense this year." Um, and so like, I, I'm, I agree with him. I think there's, there's a lot of guys. Okay. There's a lot of question marks for some of these guys on offense, but it's not a huge stretch to think three or four of these guys could blow up to become really, really good players. It's not a stretch at all. Um, and like, I, I, if Jaden Hazelwood becomes the guy that we, that he should be the guy that we expect him to be the guy that he has shown flashes. He has. Go back to 2019 and look at some of the catches he made. Really impressive. Um, we've mentioned Theo Weiss. Theo got his he got his feet wet last year, and I, I think we said if he just if he didn't drop any of those touchdown passes or only dropped one or two of them, we would be talking about Theo Weiss and how great of a season he had. Um, those are things that that I think he can clean up because we've seen him make difficult catches. Um, so it's a mental thing in that. So it's not a, it's not a huge leap. Uh, of logic to think that, geez, man, he, he could become a really good player. We have Mike Woods, who has already proven that he is a good college football player in the SEC. That I mean, he's proven. He's a proven commodity. Um, it's not crazy to think that Austin Stogner would, would emerge. Eric Gray, we know about Kennedy Brooks. The ceiling on this offense is absurd. It is absurd. They, they can get to the point where they just, where no other team has any answers for what they can throw out there. Because if if a lot of these guys take a step forward, they can beat you in multiple ways. They can probably beat you with the ground game. They can beat you with going into 21 personnel, probably. Uh, they can, I mean, anything. They can beat you going big. They can they can spread you out. They can, and if they can do that, oh man, oh oh man, like it's I'm getting chills kind of thinking about it. This the ceiling on this offense is really is so high. It's um, man, I hope we see it. And I hope we see just a ton of bombs this year, just bombing away, just all That's day all, long. You always just you always want the OU quarterback just to throw bombs and just throw the ball fifty yards down the field every single it's time. It's the it's the biggest predictor of success of an offense getting getting a bunch of plays downfield and getting chunk yardage. You know, offenses that so, do that consistently are the best offenses and are and have a greater chance of beating really good defenses because if you're getting explosive plays like that it means you have awesome players generally speaking roundabout way yeah, there no, of saying i think they could be yeah. really good this year and i'm excited 
Gotcha. On the Mike Woods front, I'm not sure how much we touched on it last week. I forgot, but one of the question marks about him coming into the season is how quickly can he be expected to contribute in a big way considering he got <laughs> he like you made the joke last week that he caught a touchdown pass in Arkansas spring game and then the next day committed to Oklahoma I think he actually did that though yeah like, that's not just well, that's not a joke I think that actually happened <laughs> yeah. well sometimes the best jokes are, are funny because they're things that actually happened uh, but obviously he he gets to Oklahoma in the summertime and he has what two three months ish I guess to be uh, to learn a brand new offense and be expected to be used heavily in a Lincoln Riley offense by week one well according to Dusty talked to Dusty Dvorak the other day and they're expecting him to be somebody that can immediately be impactful and which is not that much of a leap considering he's a veteran guy he's been around a lot he's good he's smart so why not? He is a deep threat. So he is a proven deep threat in the best conference of college football. Um, yeah, and he's I, a bully. I, like, like hearing the other guys talk about him this week, he's he's big, he's strong, he's physical. So you you throw that with also being a deep threat. It's kind of like, huh? That's kind of interesting. Yeah, like I this is. Um, I think a lot of people really haven't been talking about Mike Woods. Just I mean, and why would they? I mean, he's a, he's a transfer that came in after the spring. You know, there's not going to be a lot of you know, words spilled over that or everything. But I, I think I think there's a better chance than not that he's going to be one of those starting three receivers who walks on the field, you know, for the first play of the season. I think he's going to be one of the one of the top three guys. Uh because he's their he is their proven deep threat. You know, and you, they they need that in this offense. So we'll see. I'm excited to watch him play. I, I I'm I'm excited to see him um and just see, you know, how much separation he can get. Does that deep threat, does that transfer over to the Big Twelve? Probably. Um we'll find out. <laughs> Let's switch over to the defensive side of the football. And I'll be honest, Grant, we all love listening to Alex Grinch talk, but Alex Grinch's media day press conference last Thursday, for the most part, was a bit of a snooze fest. He didn't say many things that I found to be that interesting. Would you agree? Yeah, and that might be a really good thing. It might be. But the one bit, the one part, I should say, that I, as I was logging it, I was listening, I was typing out what he was saying that I put a star next to, was when he talked about the defensive line. He was asked about the defensive line. Not surprising because the defensive line is supposed to be really good this year. He said that the defensive line has unique depth and that Oklahoma this season envisions the ability to play eight guys, eight, just in the interior of the defense and six players out on the edge. And when he said that, I was like, uh, like when you actually put a number on it, because we all know the depth is really good, but just hearing him put a number on it and saying, yeah, we're, we're expecting eight guys just on the interior. <laughs> okay. Uh, that is awesome. I think, I, I think incredible. I think one of the, like a good, a good uh, follow-up question to that, you know, would have been last week. Alex Rinsman, he spent a year at Ohio state. You know, he, he saw a defense that is recruited very heavily. Um, a lot of five and four star guys on that Ohio state defense that he coached for a year. When he says that, I mean, is yeah. he is he's saying that that they have a unique amount of depth, which means it doesn't happen a lot. How much depth they have, um, and I, I'm I'm just curious if if that depth is unique to even a place like Ohio State, who you know, generally speaking, would have lots of depth on the defensive side. Um, what do you think? He he says there's eight guys on the interior that can play. 
think we can name them? Uh, I think we get pretty close, actually. Uh, well, I got the roster up right now. I was going to go through. Yeah. Uh, Winf- Winfrey, Redman, Kelly, Robinson, Stokes, Coe, Ellison, and maybe Gilliam. So how many did you just name right there? That was eight. That was all eight, huh? Yeah, Winfrey, Redmond, Ellison, Kelly, Robinson, Coe, Stokes, and Gilliam. Maybe I'm missing someone in there. Jalen Redmond. I put. I said Redmond. The the second was the second name I mentioned. Oh, you did. Okay. Yeah. Winfrey, well, Redmond, Winfrey, Redmond, okay. Ellison, Kelly. Three. Four. That's four. Um. Co, Robinson, Five. Robertson, Robertson. God, I always yeah. Robertson, That's I, six. It's probably Roberson. Um, and I said, uh, Gilliam. And now I'm 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 forgetting the last one I said. Did I say Co? You did. Here we go. I'll I'll run through. And it it is Roberson, by the way. Uh, all right. So obviously, Perry on Winfrey, Jalen Redmond. Jordan Kelly, that's three. Ellison's four. Roberson is five. Coe is six. Isaiah Thomas is technically a defensive lineman. I'm wondering if he's so, including Thomas in there um, because he, he, I mean, he played in the interior a ton last year. Yeah, and, and they love him on the. I mean, they love him there. So he could be seven. Uh, Leron Stokes could be eight. But if Isaiah Thomas is not considered, Gilliam obviously you could throw in there, but he's a true freshman. Uh, yeah, who knows if Noah Arenze is anybody that's making any waves? He's an edge know. guy. Oh, he's listed as a defensive lineman. So, so yeah. So maybe it's Isaiah Thomas, and then that's kind of the eighth, and and maybe Gilliam. Because uh, obviously, there's a lot of mixing and mashings that goes along there. So, it, but either way, you slice it. That was probably terrible podcasting. No, I it's thought it was exciting that there's that many guys. And yeah, I thought it was pretty great, actually. That's I, gonna I'm, be sure, our I'm sure everyone segment. they're listening to, they're going to be like, okay, who is it? It's, it's this guy and this guy. They're going to be doing it along with us. It's all good. And you know that everybody was just yelling at the podcast player when we weren't saying a guy and saying, like, say this guy's well, name. I said I eight the of them. I, 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 I got through all eight of them three times and you didn't catch any of them. And so I started to confuse myself. Do you think we can do? I, I feel like the edge guys are a lot easier. Uh, maybe. Uh, there's six Gosh, of them. Six so. though, that's actually a ton. I, the only ones that I can, I can, I can drop four right now: Benito, Smith, Stripling, and Brendan Walker. Uh, I, I, I wouldn't know who the other two are unless they, unless they're putting Stutzman on the edge. Um, I guess I'm not sure. I, I don't, I don't, I don't think Noah Rinze is ready. He was always kind of a project. Unless they think Joseph Wete can play or NRK, I, I'm not sure. Who are the guys you said? Um, Joseph Wete and then Nathan's, uh, Nathan Rollins Kabanga, the freshman. NRK, a lot easier. Yeah. So, I mean, but like, you said Benito, like from the top. Uh, Nick Benito. Obviously Benito. Clayton Smith. Mark, Marcus okay. Stripling. Okay. Um, Brendan, Brendan Walker. Walker. That's the yeah, only four. four that I think are a slam dunk. Maybe they, yeah, no, yeah. Stokes wouldn't play on the edge. Oh, oh, Isaiah Thomas. Well, are they thinking Isaiah Thomas, or is he? Does he count as an interior? 
Yeah, he's kind of the swing guy. I think right now, at least according to the roster, he's a defensive lineman. I mean, are we talking defensive ends here too? I mean, that's, those are edge guys. I mean, what about Reggie Grimes? Oh, Grimes. Jeez. Yeah. I, I think, and yeah. And then, uh, yeah, Rollins, Kabong, however you pronounce that guy's name. He's in, And also, Ethan Downs. Oh, that's right. I guess, yeah, I think so the... The so inside out, yeah, the inside and edge distinction is sort of confusing me because you're right. I didn't, I didn't mention Isaiah Thomas in any of those, and the guy who should have been the Big Twelve Defensive Player of the Year. I don't know how I how I forgot about him. Um, but yeah, I would say I would. I don't know what do you think. I think uh, I think there's a pretty decent chance that Reggie Grimes may actually be his direct backup this year. Um, I thought he's. I thought he flashed. I thought he looked good last year in the in, you know, in, in the little that he played. But he's definitely got the size. He's a big dude. Yeah, he's huge. He's huge. Uh, yeah, so th- th- that was fun with lists right there. As you're trying to go down the the front seven, all the this is such a great problem four. to have. Never mind. Yeah. Oh, this, it is. It this is. is. This is actually. I can. I can safely say that in my OU fandom, this has never been a thing. This is new. This is unique to Oklahoma. They have never had 14 guys that can play on the defensive front. They just haven't. And we'll see. I, we'll we'll see if all of that is just kind of smoke, or if there's if there's some legit if there's some legitness to that. I just made up that word. <laughs> well, how about this to wrap up this entire segment talking about the depth, and we can move on to what we missed out on last episode. Lincoln Riley at Media Day talking about depth, and that's what we were just talking about the insane depth on defense. Riley said depth has gone from how do we get this guy off the field to we have to create reps for a lot of guys because there's plenty who are ready to play and contribute. All right. That we is a even, fact. We didn't even talk about the linebackers. The linebackers are absurdly deep, um, which is crazy. I, I can't believe that's a thing, especially, like, I mean, just two years ago. There quite literally was no depth at that position. <laughs> None. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, um, Curtis Bolton played every single snap. So did Kenneth Murray. God, Bolton was arguably um, the best player on that defense, too. It tells you all you need to know about 2018. Yeah. Uh, well, Neville Gallimore was there. He was the best player. But I get your point. Uh, let's get to the, the parts of the show, or the parts of the rundown from last week's episode that we didn't get to. And, well, I don't know how much time we'll spend on the, the whole OU to SEC thing because now we're a little bit further away from it. But I do got to give Grant credit because a couple episodes ago, you predicted that by the end of whatever week it was that Oklahoma officially joined the SEC, that that was going to happen, and you predicted it correctly, Grant. So congratulations. How'd you feel? Yeah, Did me you and like everyone else on Vegas the planet again? as well. Um, no, nah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't think there was. Uh, I was going out on too much of a limb there. Uh, yeah. It just, it just, it just made sense. They're clearly going to try to wrap that, up, wrap that up as soon as possible. They don't want that going into the season. That just wasn't going to happen. <laughs> Yeah, we're, we're still, though, the big question, we still don't know officially when it's going to happen. And we're still thinking, hopefully, next season. And a lot of those talks have died down quite a bit, I think, in the last week and week and a half. Just, I'm going to guess, because the season's getting closer and uh, we're not going to get any sort of resolution to that in the middle of the season, I don't think. But, man, it's we're still like, when's this going to happen? Uh, I don't know. I don't have much else to add on that. There probably isn't much to add on that. But I do have some listener questions we can get to, and there's some talks about the SEC, and uh, that could probably transition us to, again, to the listener questions. So these are from last week. Credit to the guys, the people who post on the West of Evers Facebook page. We'll start with Travis. So Travis says, 
He says, meh, the SEC talk is clouding the upcoming season as of the last few weeks. Hopefully it doesn't distract the team and the coaches. It's going to happen when it happens. Let's focus on Tulane and not have another version of the showdown we had with Army a few years ago. Similar style of offense, if I'm not mistaken. He's, he's asking a question there. Uh, so, but he has more to say. So this is more Travis from the West of Ever's Facebook page. Facebook page. He says, one thing, however, that I do believe and I would like to hear from you guys is this. How quickly does the narrative about Oklahoma change in regards to the big boys? He references how the media is kind of, uh, you know, underselling Oklahoma right now. Travis says, I'm sure come the Nebraska game and OU has played really good defensive football. The narrative will be that Oklahoma is an all around solid team. You know, they play defense. That's a top defense an SEC caliber defense. So I guess Travis is saying that by the, the Nebraska game that the narrative is going to change for Oklahoma that, that quickly. So, Grant, I, I don't know. I, I, I just don't know. If, if you're talking SEC, like if you're thinking that far ahead, I don't know if any sort of narrative about Oklahoma is going to change by the Nebraska game this year. If that's what I think that's what Travis is saying. Yeah, I don't. Uh, do I don't. About that? Yeah, I don't agree with that. I don't. I really don't think that's going to happen. I don't think the narrative is going to change this season unless OU beats an, an SEC team in the playoff. That's when the narrative will change. I, I and plays and plays good defense doing and it. plays good defense doing it. I. I just really, I really doubt the national media will give OU's defense the benefit of the doubt. Um, and this is one of those things where it's like, I mean, can you really blame people in the media for still being skeptical about it? I don't think you can. I mean, I think it's. It's no, I, like, I don't blame like, him. Like I've said, it, it's him. lazy. It's lazy just to go back to those normal tropes. But like, I mean, sometimes it's sometimes it is warranted because they have been awful on defense. Um, but no, I mean, I, I think I don't think the narrative is going to change until they do it on a massive stage in the playoff in front of 15 million people on TV. Um, that's that's when the narrative will change. Um, going back to what Travis said, um, I agree with him. I don't want uh, I don't want this to be a you know a game like Army was a few years ago. That game was a was a travesty. The fact that OU went to overtime in that game was a joke, um, and it was embarrassing. And they I think everyone on, in the program was embarrassed about it. Um, but I've actually started watching Tulane um, in the last week or so, and I just I'd wanted to uh, uh, to comment with Travis. They do not run the option anymore. They run a pro style in the shotgun uh, offense. They pro- they do run run more out of it, uh, but they they aren't scared to throw the ball. They have a true freshman quarterback named Michael Pratt, who is he's he's an okay scrambler, but he's kind of a stiff athlete. Um, but no, they didn't. They don't run kind of the shotgun option that that Willie Fritz is famous for. They they don't run that anymore. Oh, interesting. Isn't Pratt returning? I don't think he's a freshman. He was a true freshman last year. Oh, okay. Sorry. Right. Yeah, gotcha. I didn't. So this will be a second. And I would say, like, I've and he's, you know, he's against a defensive line full of a bunch of NFL players. He's going to look bad. He's not particularly good. He's got some okay numbers uh, from last season, but and you know, from what I saw, he he wasn't particularly impressive. They do have one receiver who I thought was was a was a really good player. Um, I'm gonna have to. I'll have to go. I, his name is escaping me now, but. Yeah, when we get to the two lane preview, uh, their their best player is is their top receiver, and we'll we'll definitely get into that. On the question about when's the narrative about Oklahoma going to change, you know, if it changes, I you know I'm, I'm more with you, Grant. If it's not going to change 
until Oklahoma's playing the Alabamas, the Georgias, the Floridas, the LSUs, the A&Ms, the Auburns, and Oklahoma's beating those teams, and they're looking good doing it. They're they're not. I mean, beating them might be enough, but you know, looking good and and playing really well, and people thinking like, oh, this Oklahoma team talent wise is actually on this level that we didn't anticipate like that's when it's going to change and you know it's not necessarily you know beating Alabama you know it's as, as much as it is you know beating te- beating the other teams the Georgias and the Floridas and the LSUs because a lot of people are just assuming that's kind of the tier Oklahoma's in and those teams you know, maybe they'll beat those teams every once in a while but that's really where they belong they're not really anywhere near Alabama and and it may be correct that they're not anywhere near Alabama but you and I what we're arguing is that they are above the Georgias, the Floridas, the LSUs, the Texas A&Ms. Like they're they're closer to Alabama than those teams are, especially going into the SEC with those resources. Do you want to add something? Oh, I was going to say, literally nobody in the history of the sport is better than Alabama has been. Okay, the last yeah. twelve years, like like it's yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, we talked about it on this podcast. Alabama really does carry the water for that conference a lot, but it's but. To a certain extent, it would be foolish to say that LSU and Georgia and them don't have great players. They do. They have a lot of really great players. Um, I just, you know, college football is a, is a historical sport. History does matter. Um, and history does predict future events in college football. Um, Oklahoma is the second best program in the history of the sport. They're going to the SEC. It's, I, like I said, people are, I, I think a decade from now, there's going to be a lot of people, a lot of administrators, a lot of ADs in the SEC who are going to be disappointed that they gave OU these resources. I hope you're right. Another listener question from Facebook. This is from Justin. And Justin says, again, this is uh, from last week. So uh, we weren't able to get to it on the last podcast. Justin says, saw an article in the Oklahoman about chanting SEC. Do you think OU fans will do it to other Big 12 schools in jest? Do you think it becomes a thing the fan base adopts? If Oklahoma starts well in the SEC, do you think fans chant it mocking the SEC? Kind of off topic from what your post mentions, but I think it's kind of a fun topic to think about. So I like all those questions, Justin. It's something that I kind of was thinking about a little bit last week. So it, it is a fun topic. And you know, into the podcast, might as well, let's, let's get to it. Uh, I would like to think, Grant, that if we ever hear a group of Oklahoma fans chanting SEC, SEC, that it's going to be an ironic chanting of SEC. Unfortunately, can I say with certainty that that's going to be the case and always be the case? Of course, I can't, can't say that because uh, fans are fans. Every single fan base has people... <laughs> of the of the lowest common denominator of fandom who will do things that we absolutely detest uh, like the wave for example the wave is really dumb don't do the wave <laughs> so i i would like to think that if sec gets chanted by ou fans it's all just ironic but it's probably not going to be that way at some point and the thought of oklahoma fans like chanting that uh like seriously makes me makes me cringe i i hate it actually yeah um you're you're not gonna get any disagreement from me here um you know i with what just like very tiny like infinitesimal uh sort of influence that i have over this fan base or anyone who is listening please do not chant sec this year or ever for that matter um to 
uh, to answer Justin's question, do I think OU fans are going to do it to Big 12 schools in jest? Yes. 99.999999%. Yes, it is going to happen. Absolutely, it's going to happen this year. Is it going to make me cringe every single time? Yeah. Are the fans going to look stupid when they do it? Yeah. Just don't do it, guys. Don't do it. Let's stop it before it even starts. So I reached out to one of my friends, one of my good buddies in College Station, who still covers Texas A&M. And again, if you're new to this podcast, I covered A&M for a couple of years during the, uh, man, during the the Kyler Murray, <laughs> the A&M Kyler Murray year and Kyle Allen year. And uh, the next year with mm, Kyle Allen again. And then uh, Hubena, it was, it, no, no, I'm sorry, Trevor Knight. Yeah, the Trevor Knight year, duh. Uh, so anyways, doesn't matter. I, I was like, hey, you know, do Aggie fans chant SEC? And I ask about A&M because obviously A&M is still pretty new in the conference. And because even though I covered the team for two years, I don't really remember a whole lot of I don't remember them chanting like being at Kyle Field. I don't recall that happening. Granted, it was always SEC conference games or they would be playing, you know, a group of five school. I don't think the, I don't think teams do it when they're playing other SEC teams. I think it's so, all yeah, so it's all when they're playing someone else. Yeah, so I guess that's maybe why I never I never noticed it. But so my buddy said, yeah, okay. So here's what happens. He says the only time that he's ever heard Aggie fans do the SEC chant is when they're going against teams outside of the conference, usually the Big Twelve. Uh, which you some examples would be bowl games, obviously, and maybe like baseball postseason games. You know, Texas A and M versus TCU, for example. Uh, for baseball, I still don't even remember hearing SEC chants, but maybe that was because TCU was always beating Texas A&M in baseball when I was there. So I, I guess whenever they are playing other Big 12 schools, like like you mentioned, Grant, yeah, like this season, that's 100% going to happen. The student sections are going to do it, uh, and maybe other fans. It's it's going to be a thing, and this podcast is not for it. Oh, yeah, we're going <laughs> to... We are against it. Any chance I get, I am going to condemn it. I'm going to condemn it. It's uh, it's just it's just stupid. Condemn. It's stupid. It's it's foolish to have pride in a co- in a conference. It's just it's just weird. I mean, people can do what they want, but I you know I'm a fan of Oklahoma. I I really all of the other schools in the Big Twelve and the SEC can drop dead for all I care. I I just want Oklahoma to win. <laughs> all right, about ten minutes or so left. We got one more question. This was from Harry. Harry, a longtime listener. Thanks for your question, Harry, or your question and comment, I should say. He says, what do you all think will be done in conference play once Oklahoma enters SEC play, uh, divisions or pods? And if the pods happen, how or what decides who plays in the SEC championship game? Grant, do you want to hit this first? I, I hit the last one kind of first. Yeah. I don't know if I, I do have I, I do have some thoughts on this. I know you do as well, so I'll let you go ahead. So yeah, I mean, I I think if they go away from divisions, which kind of seems practically like that's going to happen, it just makes the most sense. Um, you know, I it's it's just going to be the top two teams in the conference that play in the title game, just a la the Big Twelve. Whoever thought the Big Twelve would be Trailblazers doing that? Because I, I kind of feel like, Not me. you know, yeah, once these conferences <laughs> expand, that's what it's going to be. Like, it's just going to be the top two teams, um, which, like, makes a lot more sense in a 16-team conference. I reiterate, the fact that oh, or the fact that the Big 12 still plays a championship game doesn't make any logical sense at all, and it's stupid. But also, that championship game has gotten them into the playoffs a couple times also. So, I guess, you know, joke's on me. Um in terms of like what I prefer 
uh, for the SEC uh, scheduling. I don't like pods, um, but I also don't think divisions are like are practical and are smart either. I I like the idea more of just having three teams that you play every year, and then everyone else is just on a rotating basis. It doesn't even have to be rotating. Like honestly, I think the SEC should should make the schedules every year how then they should set it out so that their top so that their top teams can have favorable schedules that's what they do right now um i don't know why that would be any different when ou and texas come into the conference um but no the pods um i guess maybe it's just i think it would be stupid if if a&m texas and ou are not in the same pod um if that weren't if, if that doesn't happen that's 100% just to appease Texas A&M. I think it's dumb. Um, I think, like, I, I guess, what are your opinions on this? If they do go to pods, I think it's pretty clear that the big, the, the old Big 12 team should have their own pod, but there's a lot of people who, who aren't super into that. What do you think? Yeah, initially I was not that interested in this topic, and then I started looking into it because of Harry's question because I wanted to be able to answer his question intelligently, and, and now I'm actually really interested in it. It's, it's pretty interesting. Wow. Uh, do you guys think it's interesting to me? Uh, I, I'm, in, I'm intrigued by it. How about that? So the pod stuff, yeah, I, I think the pods is a better idea. I, I like the use of it. It seems like there's a better chance at your SEC schedule being different every year, and you know, you see new teams, and you have that's a chance the big, to travel to yeah, different that's places. That's the big criticism right now of current SEC teams. Okay, okay. So, uh, and I'm with you. Like, how would it work with a SEC championship game? It's the top two teams. It's got to be like like you were saying. You know, you you just you go one through sixteen, and the top two teams with the best record, I guess, play for the SEC title, like the Big Twelve. But as as far as you know, who is in the pods? I guess it was the SEC network that proposed. You know, who to the who would be in each 14 pod and there's been some reports about where things would be and i believe i believe dean uh, my boss at news nine through his sources said that the the pod that the scc network put out that includes oklahoma texas missouri and arkansas is the one that he's hearing that they would consider not the one that would include texas a&m in that and i get what you're saying i get like oh yeah like doesn't it make sense to have like like, were you saying the four Big 12 schools, so OU, Texas, Missouri, and then A&M yeah. all together? That's what you're saying? Yeah. And, that just makes I, too I much that. sense for it to happen, I guess. So here, I was thinking about this. Here is why, actually, I don't like that idea and why I think this proposal by the SEC Network that they put out now, I guess, three, three and a half weeks ago, makes a lot of sense. And I'll just go through each, each pod. We, we did... Oklahoma, Texas, Missouri, and Arkansas, okay. LSU, Texas A&M, Mississippi State, and Ole Miss. Pod B, Bama, Auburn, Tennessee, Vanderbilt. Of course, Vanderbilt's in Alabama's pod. Uh, (laughs) uh, Pod A, Florida, Georgia, Kentucky, and South Carolina. And and so, obviously, you're you're keeping some rivalries, excuse me, intact there with, uh, you know, Alabama and Auburn's in one, Florida and Georgia's in one, obviously OU and Texas is in one. And I suppose in the other pod with A&M, they're trying to make A&M and LSU a rivalry, which were they historical rivals like in no, before? I don't think I, so. I can't remember. I don't know. Okay. I don't know. I mean, it, it makes sense, though. I mean, regionally, they're, they're close by, whatever. But here's why it makes sense to me, because you always say, Grant, what does the SEC do? 
better than any other conference, at least according to you. They, they put their teams in position to compete for national championships schedule-wise, right? They try to put their best teams, their, their top teams, in a position to compete year after year to make the playoff win a national championship. If you put Oklahoma, Texas, and Texas A&M, and then you throw Missouri in, all the, in the same pod, that's three potential teams where, depending on the year, could be teams that could be playoff teams. Whereas in the other, this other pods where you have Oklahoma and Texas, plus Arkansas and Missouri, okay, I know Texas has been irrelevant, in my opinion, for the last 10 years, but in theory, Texas is a team that could get talent and could be a playoff contender. So you got OU and Texas there. And then Missouri and Arkansas, eh, probably not year after year going to be playoff contenders. Other pod, A&M, LSU, two teams that obviously LSU's won a national title. A&M was a playoff contender this past year. They've been playoff contenders the la- before. And then Ole Miss, Mississippi State. Okay, eh, they had a couple good years here and there, but they're not really playoff contenders. So you got A&M and LSU as the two teams that could be playoff contenders. Obviously, you got Bama and Auburn. Bama goes without saying. Auburn won a national title with Cam Newton. Like, yeah, okay, sure. And then you got Tennessee and Vanderbilt. And then you got Florida and Georgia, obvious, with Kentucky and South Carolina. So each pod, in my opinion, has two teams in it that are like, okay, they could compete for a playoff spot. Whereas you don't want to, you don't want to put too many teams in one pod that are beating up on each other that could potentially compete for a playoff spot. And so that's why I think it actually is a good idea. And maybe that's why that's that's my blind spot. I don't I don't think of A and M as that team that can do that. To be honest sure. with you, sure. uh, like I and honestly maybe and honestly Auburn's not, maybe not that either. Like Alabama's proposed pod, pretty easy. Auburn, Tennessee, and Vanderbilt. But yeah. sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I agree. Um, no, I just think it's silly that Texas and A and M would be in the same conference and they wouldn't play each other every year. Like that's so silly to me. Um, and you know, I guess yeah, I agree. I agree with that. Yeah. And it also it kind of seems like there's a lot of people at Texas A and M who don't want to play Texas, which is the most self defeating argument I've I've like seriously. This is like one. This is one era in your football program where you are head and shoulders better than Texas, and you don't want to play them. Texas, I I just that fan base is crazy. They are so self defeating. And wouldn't the I think the, I think the fan base would love to play him. Maybe the people inside the the program is and, and, and that, that's a whole debate. It's yeah. like A&M which, is which scared one? of Texas. Is it, is it Texas? That's obvious. They're scared is it A&M? of Texas. Who who doesn't want to play who? I I honestly don't know enough about this to know the real answer. Um, oh, you will play Texas anybody, A&M, baby. Anybody. Yeah. Yeah. I so I, I I do like the the idea of the pods though because I like the idea of getting unique different schedules every single year where you see different teams and you're not you're not it's not the big 12 where you're, you're seeing literally the same exact teams every single year just home and home and then you might get one cool non-conference game and then blah. The, the reason i don't like the pods of a ton is because i think you actually are are creating a greater chance that there's seasons that different pods are like loaded um and i like i don't yeah i don't like that i don't like that i i think they should but also at the same time, and if you pick three teams that you play every single year, you could kind of get the same result as well. Um, I don't know. I but here, here, like my thing is, if I'm if as just an OU fan, I want the three teams that OU plays every year to be Texas, Texas A and M, and Missouri. But that's just me, I sure. guess. Sure. And this is this is why the playoff needs to be 
bigger. So teams lose these games. They can play a lot more fun out-of-conference games, and they're not punished as much for losing one or two games, and they can still make the playoff. And it'll make these schedules a lot more interesting. You'll see a lot more fun matchups, entertaining matchups throughout the calendar year. And I'm hoping that I, I, I saw some, uh, was it Ohio State's athletic director or was saying like, oh, let's put a pause on this playoff expansion talk. I don't know if you saw that story a couple weeks ago. Uh, so, yeah, well, we won't get into that now. We don't have time. And honestly, I don't know much about it. But, you know, my thought was this whole OU to the SEC, Texas to the SEC thing, especially if it happens really quickly, that speeds up the playoff expanding faster. But according to this article, maybe maybe that's not the case. But, again, not that uh, knowledgeable of that story. I didn't really read into it. I just saw a headline. And looking at headlines is not uh, not the best thing sometimes. Obviously. I would, you know, I would, <laughs> and if, like, I don't know a ton. Of, like, of course, like, I'm not an insider with what's going to happen with the playoff. Uh, but I don't think it's too much of a stretch to, to suggest that that's just Ohio State's athletic director looking out for Ohio State's best interests. Um, I think it's I think it's a fact like this is I've said this this is the expanded playoff is not good for OU's chances of winning national championships it's just it just makes it harder there's more teams that you have, you have to go through now um, same thing for Ohio State Ohio State's chances of winning a national title are way way higher if there's four teams in the playoff so I, I think that's what's happening there perhaps yeah it was Gene Smith who expressed some concerns over expanded college football playoff I guess referencing the looming conference realignment. It makes it difficult to determine bids for an expanded field. There's a lot more. Like Pete Thamel had it, and that was from uh, about 10 days ago. Sounds like literally something that could now, be yeah. worked out in a weekend. It won't happen like that, <laughs> yeah. but it could pretty easily. Oh, my. That makes. Uh, oh, yeah. The, the, like Bob Bullsby and Sankey and all these guys are so proud of themselves with all their secret so undercover. One, just one, let, me get, let me get in my soapbox one more time here, just because it's just. We've heard, and I'm assuming a lot of people listening to this are huge college football fans, have, list, have watched and followed for a long time, and so you know that the whole bit with scheduling and then them having to schedule 10 or 15 years out, that that was necessary because of contracts and television and stuff like that. Last season totally rendered all of those arguments useless and BS, because they were always BS. Um, Coastal Carolina and BYU played a game with two days' notice. And you know what? It was awesome. It was awesome that they were they, they were able to put put it together like that, and it was extremely possible. Like it just you just have to have the will to do it, and you can do it. And so that's all I got to say about that. It just it bugs me. Like I those arguments always sucked, and I think that was put on full display last season when BYU and Coastal Carolina did people like me a huge solid and provided me with ammo to argue with. So thank you. <laughs> Thank you, indeed. Group of five school. Well, actually, BYU is an independent. Group of five school and independent school. Uh, all right, we're out of time today. Uh, I'm glad we got to everything from last podcast. I'm sure we're missing on some stuff, but th there'll be plenty for the next episode. We'll have more practices under their belt. Uh, we'll have to brainstorm some more preseason topics. At some point, you and I will have to get together and plan out how we're going to do this, this preview because the – the season's getting here, and we're going to have to do some previews, preview positions, uh, uh, teams, and then obviously our big season preview will be at some point. That's always fun. That's always fun. Anything else you want to add? That's all I got. We're going to be under uh, within three weeks by the next time that we, uh, we record this podcast, and everyone knows by the time that you get to a week out, the season's here. It's, it's here. So 
Really only two weeks left, everyone. All right. That does it for us today. For Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.